Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. Our first Bible reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And our second reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 19 to 25. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. <clears throat> for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of God. Mm. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Ah, Revelation and Romans. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Buckle in, buckle in. Um, Good. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Amy. Um, I help lead the church here. Um, and if you're visiting this morning for baptisms, uh, it's so good that you're here. You're so welcome. Um, and like they said this morning, if you have any questions about Trinity or how to get involved, then please don't hesitate to ask. Ask someone in the lovely lanyards that are around the room, because um, we'd really lovely. We'd really love to answer um, your questions. But. Uh, we are in Advent. I know we were getting excited uh, about Christmas and all the excitement things that are um, ahead, but we are in this moment, aren't we? We're in this moment of Advent. And uh, an Advent really is a time of waiting. It's a time of preparation before the celebration of Jesus' arrival, where he comes and he breaks in. And it's the anticipation, the um, the, the anticipation, even the um, preparation of his second coming. So really, Advent is this moment where we are in the now and the not yet, the moment in between. And, uh, and this has become really real uh, to me uh, recently, to Johnny and I as a family, um, 
earlier this year, uh, we had a phone call. I feel like it's right to share. Let's see if I get through it without sobbing. But uh, we had um, a phone call from social services um, earlier in this year, um, just before the summer. And we had a call uh, that was asking Johnny and I and our family to take a baby in, um, to come into our home, because we had a particular connection with this particular family. And we were the first on the list um, for this baby uh, that was to be born. And uh, after that phone call, we were thrown, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, you know, we were not expecting this at all. And uh, we have four children of our own, for those that don't know. Um, and our life is incredibly busy. And so we were like, what? You know, really? Is this, is this what you have next for us? And, uh, and of course it's God's will. Of course it's God's will that we would consider and, and take a baby into our family. But was this, was this child for us? Was this child his will to be part of our family? So we asked these questions and we were praying really hard about it. Um, and we simply felt like God said to us that he wanted us to proceed and walk in the way it lands. That's all we got. Walk in the way it lands. And so we, uh, we did, didn't make a lot of sense, but we um, decided to um, say yes, you know, that we were going to um, walk in this way. And, uh, and so we called social services and we said, you know, we're willing to, um, to go on this journey. Now, the due date for this particular baby uh, was uh, the beginning of October. And, uh, and we got this call sort of earlier, uh, just before the summer. And, uh, and so this would mean that we would have to fly through the adoption process. For those that are in adoption and know what this is about, it takes about nine to 12 months to get through um, an adoption uh, process. And so, um, and so we would need to work really hard to get ready to be able to take on um, this child. And, uh, and so... From September, the um, social workers um, were willing as well. And from September, Johnny and I embarked on um, the process to foster, adopt, really to be looking at early, early permanence. And so uh, we um, were in a lot of adoption trainings. Um, all of our days off were spent in classrooms, um, learning about what it means to be um, parents uh, of adopted children, um, and we had social workers in our home uh, for the month of December, like, all the time. <laughs> and they were asking us lots of questions. They were asking our children lots of questions that at times was terrifying. <laughs> uh, uh, and they were like, so what do you do when, when, when your parents get cross? And I'm like, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> They're amazing. Uh, you know. So there were certainly some scary moments along the way, but all good. And, uh, and so we really began in, this, uh, in September, we, um, we began to get everything ready. You know, you don't enter into a sped up process like this, especially for early permanence when this isn't going to be the end. The baby is not going to be the end. And so we were um, anticipating the arrival um, of this child and we um, sorted our house out, we were sorting our hearts out, you know, getting really excited. You know, I began to, um, you know, picture this child. This child was in my heart, in my prayers. Um, and, um, and so we just were ready. And on the 24th of October, um, we went to panel and Johnny and I uh, sat in front of a board of panellists and after all the paperwork and all the training, uh, Johnny and I were approved for early permanence fostering and adoption, uh, which was such a wonderful day, you know, such an exciting moment to be um, approved, which I know many of you in the room have also been through um, that 
process as well, you know, it became really real and we were really excited about welcoming a baby, although completely daunted. However, the next day, so we were approved on the uh, 24th and on the 25th, uh, we got a call from um, the social worker to say that a baby had been born. <laughs> a baby had been born, a little baby boy had been born. And the social workers had agreed and decided that this particular baby, um, they had done a lot of looking at this particular case and that the baby is going to go home with their mum. And so Johnny and I were like, you know, stunned, stunned that we had prepared and we felt God was in this, but this baby was going to go home with um, their birth mum. And for those that are um, familiar, again, with early permanence and fostering and adoption, um, when you're whizzed through a process like this and when there's an urgency with it, um, the situation of the birth parents, um, it's not good. It's really, really messy and it's not good. And so when, honestly, I got that call to say that the baby had gone home with birth parents, it was like a dagger in my heart. You know, it's like this ache in my heart because there was a strong concern that the baby wouldn't be safe, you know, that, um, that they had made this decision, but actually, is this baby okay? Is, is this baby boy going to be okay going home uh, with the birth parents? And, uh, and so I get regular updates now. I call like a crazy person, <laughs> like a couple of times a week, you know, just checking that he's okay and he's okay. And, um, and you know, he is. He's doing all right. And he's growing um, and he's putting on weight, which is like, oh, which is but it's wonderful, isn't it, that he's doing okay, but there is still this awareness in the back of my mind that things just aren't right, that things aren't right. And, uh, and what this has birthed in me, and we're still in it, we are, when we're still in this process, you know, we're still waiting to see um, what happens, and we are here with open arms, we are praying for that little person every single day. Um, but what is birthed in me, and what is birthed in both Johnny and I, over the last few months is this ache, this like deep, deep ache that things aren't right. You know, it hurts so deeply that babies aren't living in safe homes. The babies are born and they live and they cry out at night and no one to rescue them. You know, it hurts that the bar the parents taking children home is so low because there aren't enough families to take these children in or there's not enough support for families um, who have had babies. It hurts that mums and parents have to have their babies removed. You know, that's not right. It's not right that their lives are so chaotic and so confused and so full of abuse themselves and so full of hurt and pain that they have to have multiple babies removed time and time again. You know, it's not right. It hurts. It's always hurt, but man, does it hurt even more now. You know, it hurts hearing the case studies of all these babies that, and children that are in homes of neglect and abuse. You know, going through this training is like eyes open to the realities of children's lives in our city, in cities beyond in our world, you know. It is eye-opening and it hurts. Jesus has led me here. <laughs> Jesus has led me here. He 
he's led me with him, with his spirit, with his beautiful presence into another level of the heartbreaking reality of our world. And, you know, perhaps some of you in the room can relate. You know, perhaps you can relate to this ache. Perhaps it's the same ache. Perhaps you're going through this process yourself. Perhaps you've had experience of this. Perhaps you ache for children in our city in the same way that I'm just explaining. Perhaps it's the ache, the grief of relationships that aren't right, that aren't resolved, that aren't the way that they're meant to be. Perhaps it's mother and fathers that you've had. You grieve that this isn't what it was like, it's not what it's meant to be like. Perhaps there's an ache when you listen to the news, when you hear about war, when you hear about women being oppressed. It aches, it hurts, the cost of living, addictions that you can't break out of, ache of illness, all of that. Perhaps it's the ache that your body isn't functioning in the way that it once was. And I think we're all clear, aren't we? We're all clear, I am clear, that there is pain. There is so much pain. However, if we are to thrive, if we're to thrive in this weary world, if we are to thrive in this world, what we need more than anything is hope. Basically what Mars was saying this morning. We need hope. We need hope. And Jo spoke last week about mercy, and she gave us this beautiful idea of the Father's mercy that's on offer to us now. And today I want to talk about the power of hope. And we read Romans 8. If you've got your Bible, turn to it now. In verse 23, Paul says, But we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we have been saved. And so, to start, what we do know, <laughs> what we do know, the hope that we do have, is that through Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection, that the kingdom of God has broken in. Hallelujah. The kingdom of God has broken in, and we celebrate that. The birth of Jesus, the kingdom is broken in. And through his death, and resurrection, he has conquered sin, and he has conquered death once and for all, and he has victory over all of it. Hallelujah. We know that. We know that. And when we give our lives to Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, we are filled with his spirit. We're filled with the, the spirit of Jesus that is now living within us. He resides within us. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me and lives in you. That he is inviting us right now, right now, right here, right now, into a new way of life. That he is renewing all things. He's renewing things all night. These are the first fruits. These are, this is our living hope. Jesus is our living hope. And you know, here at Trinity, um, we talk about the now a lot. And we should we talk about the now a lot, that, that God's presence is here, that his power is here, that he can redeem, he can restore, that he's bringing peace, he's bringing freedom and liberation and healing and all of that. And I'm a testament to that. Like, oh, what he has done in my life now is amazing. And we push into that. We expect him to break in. We expect him to move. However, what I want to focus on um, this morning is that there is also a future element to our hope. 
There's a future dimension of hope that is so important to grasp. It's so important to grasp. Otherwise, we will not live in the hope that we have. Paul says, you know, we have this first fruits. Praise the Lord for first fruits, for the Spirit is working, redeeming, restoring. But we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And I just want to really quickly pick up this word groan. It basically means um, a noise without words. You know, it's like a... It's a word beyond words. Sorry, it's a noise beyond words. You can't put words to the noise. And this word, I believe, is so significant. It's such a significant word. And I learned um, this week as I was doing my little um, study. I mean, so I went through down so many rabbit holes around heaven um, and the afterlife. You know, that I was like, ah, this is all too much. You know, so I'm only going to scratch the surface. Um, but I did learn this week that the word groan is mentioned. Um, the first time it's mentioned in the Bible is in Exodus. The first time it's mentioned is Exodus 2, 23. And... Um, and I learned again, you're very proud, um, that there's a, a law of first mention. So when a, um, when a word is first mentioned, it is often, um, it defines the meaning of the word. And so when Paul in Romans is using this word um, groaning, he's potentially picking up on this meaning in Exodus 2, 23. And at this point in Exodus, the Israelites are in slavery. They're in slavery. And in verse 2 in Exodus, if you go there, it says the Israelites groaned in their slavery. You know, they are groaning because they know this isn't what was intended. You know, God had made a covenant promise. He had made a covenant promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to liberate, to redeem, and to restore. Yet they were enslaved. And they are groaning because they're like, hang on, you've promised. You've promised this life of freedom and liberation. Yet I'm, my reality is slavery. And living in this tension is the only thing to do is to groan. They groan because they know there's a better way. They groan because they know there's a better way. And yet they're totally, utterly powerless to change it. And isn't this where we're at? <laughs> this is where I'm at. I found myself groaning, you know, on the kitchen table with no words to express the pain and the ache inside, just a noise that comes out. And so groaning, you know, it's a manifestation of faith. It's a manifestation of faith, a manifestation of hope that there is something better. It's a manifestation of attention. That's what Paul is saying. He's recognizing that we are in attention, that there is something better. That what is now isn't fully what was intended. And I think at times we can all, certainly I can, be in danger when we only see the pain and we only see the brokenness. And instead of groaning, instead of causing us to groan because we remember the promise, but where the reality doesn't match and it causes us to groan, 
we can fall into despair. (laughs) We can collapse into despair. Perhaps we collapse into fear or cynicism. Or we go into fix-it mode. You know, ah, there's all this pain, there's all this brokenness, I'm just going to fix it, I'm going to fix it, and then we burn out. Or we simply ignore the brokenness around us because somehow we're not supposed to see it, you know. And we live in this sort of denial or this unrealistic optimism that somehow it's not as bad as we think. Or it becomes too much to bear. It all just becomes too much and we avoid the pain and we seek comfort and pleasure, which ultimately makes us numb. And I have found (laughs) that when we follow Jesus, we actually become even more aware of the pain and the brokenness as he gives us his heart. Our groaning will only grow. Groaning isn't an absence of God. It's the presence of God. And this is why it's so important to remember our future hope. Daryl Johnson, um, who wrote this amazing book called Discipleship on the Edge, which is all about revelation, it's amazing, he says this, Is it right, given all the challenges of the present, to take time to focus on the future? Is not thinking about the future, however one conceives it, a royal cop-out? Is it right for us, now, generation people, to spend valuable time thinking about the future? Answer. It's virtually impossible not to do so. Our picture of the future automatically shapes the way we live in the present. We live out in the present what we think the future holds. And Dallas Willard says this, we humans think about the future as naturally as we breathe. The human must have a picture of the future. The question is, what is yours? In all of this uh, uncertainty and uh, heartbreak for us, I had a dream right in the middle of it. And in this dream, uh, Johnny and I were flying through the air. And we were in this shed, (laughs) flying through the air. And as we were flying through the air, the shed was actually just falling to pieces. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And we were, like, crashing to the ground. And there was lots of fear and anxiety about it. And we were crashing to the ground. And, uh, and as all the pieces disappeared, we began to fly. And there, I became, um, there was more freedom in just sort of flying through the air. But I was really afraid about how I was going to land because, you know, we all know if you're flying through the air, you're gonna, it's going to hurt. And, um, and as I was flying through the air, I was anxious about where we were going to land. And I landed um, on the floor completely um, pain-free. So I sort of rolled onto the floor with Johnny next to me. And, uh, and as I looked up, I um, was in this most beautiful garden. And as I opened my eyes, all I could see was flowers like everywhere, like the most beautiful flowers. And, uh, and as I was, um, as I landed, as I looked up, I was in my house that I grew up in. And, uh, and in this house, um, I was in the garden and I could see my family all walk out of this house. And, uh, and I remember um, I had this overwhelming sense of worship. I, I woke up, Johnny can testify, I woke up sobbing and I was saying, How could I ever have doubted your goodness? How could I ever have doubted your faithfulness? How could I ever, you know, I was going on and I was like, you're okay. But it was this overwhelming, and I can still feel it, sense of gratitude that he is so much better than we think he is. And I felt in in that kindness of the dream that he was giving me um, a glimpse of heaven, 
I felt like it was a glimpse of heaven, of hope in the midst of my present pain. And so what do we know? I'm just going to come into land. What do we know about what do we know about our future hope? What do we know about what will happen uh, one day? We know because of Revelation 21. And you'll be pleased to know that we're going to do a whole series in Revelation. Um, and we're going to, um, in January or the, in the new term, uh, we're going to really begin to look at Revelation, unpack it, because it's so mysterious, isn't it? But so full of wonder. So I'm particularly excited about that. So I'm only just going to uh, literally scratch the surface here. But what do we um, know about our future hope? I think Revelation 21 gives us um, a good glimpse. Firstly, uh, in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. <clears throat> a new heaven and a new earth. And this doesn't mean brand new. This means renewed. That one day, folks, just let your imaginations go wild for the next five minutes. That one day, everything will be made new. One day everything will be made new. Everything will be restored. You know, in Romans 8, again, it says, even creation is groaning. Even creation knows this isn't right. Even creation knows that they're in this tension. That this isn't what, this isn't what was meant to be. Creation is groaning out for the renewal of all things. Can you imagine creation renewed and restored? That's our hope. That one day, the beauty, that tiny snippet of the flowers I saw in that garden, one day, it will be so much more beautiful than you can possibly imagine. Daryl Johnson, again, in his book, says, this doesn't mean the end of creation. It's about the beginning of creation. The beginning of new creation. Verses 2. He says, coming down out of heaven. Our future hope, this renewal of all things, is to happen from above. It's a gift from God to us. It's nothing, it's nothing that we can achieve. It's nothing that we can make happen. But we are to eagerly await, as if waiting for the greatest gift. We've got to imagine this. Imagine waiting for the greatest gift. That's, what we, that's how we're to live in this hope, that one day all will be restored. Paul says, I consider that my present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. It's not even worth comparing with what's going on right now. Oh, doesn't that bring you hope? That it's so beyond. That what will come will be so other, so full of his glory. We won't even compare it. That we won't even compare to what's happening right now. No more see. And see in the scriptures, I'm sure you all know, is it represents chaos. There'll be no more chaos. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying. No more babies in pain. No more relationship breakdown. No more slavery. No more abuse, neglect. 
and it will be God's dwelling place. <laughs> he will make home once and for all with us. God is there everywhere in all God's splendor and majesty and power and holiness and healing and love. Verse five, he who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. Our hope is a person. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eye. What beautiful picture of intimacy. That Jesus oh, will wipe every tear with his hands. That one day, guys, we will be face to face with Jesus. And he will take your hand, he will take your face, and he will wipe away your tears and your pain and your grief. Don't you long for that? That is our hope. We must remember that. We fix our eyes on that. We, we yearn. We get giddy for that. We have joy that one day we'll be face to face. This will all be wiped away and made new, renewed. Oh. Daryl says this, my mate Daryl. <laughs> he says, oh, heaven is about a person. <clears throat> heaven is about a person. Which is why the last book of the Bible is all about a person. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation by Jesus about Jesus. He says this, I am sure this is why... When my grandfather died, just before he took his last breath, he said to my father and his brothers, oh boys, he's beautiful. <laughs> what is your picture of heaven? What's your picture of the future? Because it will dictate your present. If you don't have this beautiful picture of restoration and all things being made new and the intimacy of Jesus, if you can't picture that, if, it will dictate how you live now. Are you living in fear of death? Are you living in fear and anxiety and wanting to control your environment and self-preservation and I'm not entering into any mess because that was, oh, that was a bit out of my comfort zone? It will shift the way we live life now if we don't pursue a vision of the future. And so my question, I have been forced to ask this question, what's my vision of the future? Is it a good one? Am I giddy to get there? Am I longing to be with Jesus? Perhaps it's time for the church to groan again. Because groaning is intercession, isn't it? And he said to the Israelites, I, God said, I heard the Israelites groaning. But when we lose the tension, when we don't realize that there's a good future and we see the reality of the now, we won't groan and the intercession is gone. 
And so if we live in the if we live in this tension, if we allow ourselves to be giddy for the future, but not blind to the reality that sucks, then we won't groan, we won't intercede, we won't cry out to God to change, to come, to restore, to liberate. The church needs to groan again. We need to feel the tension again to give any hope to this world. I'm calling us to groan. Oh, I'm calling myself to groan. We need our eyes open to the mess of this world because Jesus is in the mess. Jesus is leading us into the mess that we will feel this tension. This isn't right. And we groan for a better future for everyone. Anyway, I could carry on, but let's, get, let's stand. And so maybe just, I just so much isn't there. There's so much, and there's so much mystery. There's so much theology. There's so, it's all so beyond what I can even begin to share this morning, or that I can even begin to slightly understand. But what I know is that heaven is a person. It's a face-to-face, intimate picture of being before Jesus. And so why don't you close your eyes? And the Holy Spirit, he's, He brings this hope to us. It's only by His Spirit. And so I'm asking, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you come and restore imagination of what's to come. Where we are bruised and in pain and all we see is the despair, I pray, Lord, that you would lift our eyes this morning. Would you reveal, give us a glimpse of your future glory, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Perhaps even for some this morning, you feel the groans, you feel the ache, yet you, you somehow want to squash it down, like somehow it's wrong to feel that. And so I just want to liberate the groans, Lord. I want to release the groans and the intercession and the, and the ache for more. And we thank you, God, that your kingdom has broken in. We thank you that you are here, that you are redeeming, that you are restoring. And we long for the more, Lord. We long for the more. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.